0: Welcome back to the Wolf of Queen Street podcast series, welcome back to the audio podcast or the video series. But before we get started today, I want to do a shout out to my sponsors, Wealth Mentor. Wealth Mentor Australia is Australasia's leading financial education company. Their mission is to make wealth accessible to all. And they do this by working with some investors and the smartest business owners out there to put a package together to help them with their knowledge and teach them the guidelines, the insights and everything they need to take the level of investment from whether they're starting or from that next level and up and help them create long-lasting wealth, not for them, but for future generations. And if this is something that sounds like that you're interested in, you can find them at wealthmentor.co.nz. But today I'm super pumped to have my guest back on the show, Karen Goss, A futurist and an entrepreneur that's trying to help people live freely and do amazing and awesome things. I've had Karen on the show multiple times before. And obviously, as being a futurist, we're always talking about things that are coming up ahead and so forth. And Karen, one of the, the craziest things that's happened is every time we've done an episode, within three to four months, not as far in the future as we thought, those things actually came out into the market. We spoke about tiny homes. That's massive in the New Zealand market. We spoke about blockchain in property. Within three to four months after that, both him and me talking about an idea have now invested in companies that are doing it. So,
1: Karen, today, let's talk about the next thing that could come along as well. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me in. I guess um, that that's really cool for starters, right? And and mm-hmm. I actually I call twenty twenty one I call twenty twenty one as the year of the tiny house, the year of um you know tokenized property, um, and dare I say it, I'm also going to throw it out there for three D printing with housing mm-hmm. as well. And and we'll touch on that a little bit later, hey. But uh, I follow a, a, a futurist out there, well known American futurist Peter Diamandis, and he talks about the six D's, which is mm-hmm. um digitization or leading all the way up to demonetization and that sort of thing right um but one of the key ones is deceptive and so i would say tiny houses and blockchain have been deceptive and now we're moving into disruptive so that's why i'm I'm going to put it out here right now (laughs) 2021 the year of um tokenized property the year of um the year of tiny houses And the year of 3D printing, although 3D printing is moving a bit slowly. But yeah, Mm -hmm. thanks thanks for pointing that out. And I guess um, if everything we have talked about in the past has come true in the next three to four months, then shit, for the sake of everybody out there and the sake of what's happening in society at the moment, I I seriously hope what we're talking about today um, will come true in the next three to four months.
0: Yeah, that is so true, Karen. And to anyone that's listening or watching at the moment, I brought Karen on. As we said, we, we've hit it on, this, uh, on the head on the nail of how well those shows have gone in with the tech. So today we're talking about future tech and future tech resolving the housing crisis. Now, everyone could go, whether you believe in this or so forth, you can go, hold on, how's this future tech, how's the fluffiness in front of us actually going to resolve something as critical and important as the housing crisis? And this is why I thought I'd get someone that has an amazing brain and mind like Karen, and let's talk about it. And hopefully on the third time of doing a show, we can go three for three for being accurate within three to six months. So Karen, uh, you know, the floor's all yours about future tech and the property crisis. Let's, Let's get into that first. You know, there must be reasons or there must be a foundation of why we are in a property crisis, whether you are in New Zealand, Australia, or fundamentally worldwide.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is something that we are seeing globally. Um and then we could we could go do, we could probably do this on fire in five hours, right? So I'm going to I'm going to do the the shortened version uh, <laughs> and maybe one day we just do the super long one. But in in essence, you know, um if you look around the world, we are all facing very much of the same issues, and it's just there's this huge demand on housing that just cannot be fulfilled. And whilst at least here in New Zealand, we've got the government, uh, you know, gaslighting and, and throwing investors under the bus, um, that that's not the case all around the world, right? So it's obviously, it's, it's not purely an investor problem. So what I did is I actually looked at all the main causes that were one, shortening the supply and two, increasing demand or probably the, the price pressure, right? And, and, At the time we're we're recording this, you know, Auckland's just come out of the second lockdown. So I don't want Mm -hmm. to talk about inflation and all the amount of money we're printing, which has its own effects, right? But that can be managed through other things. So I want to focus on the five key pillars that are essentially holding up the The causing the housing crisis, and then we can start about talking about some of the the future technologies mm-hmm. um, and trends which are coming through, which can actually lighten them up and and break the housing crisis now again, you said hopefully in the next three to six months, I'm going to say it from my side I'm talking five to ten years. Unfortunately, the way things work in society is this housing crisis is going to have to get worse in order for the government Mm -hmm. to start to accept some of the newer technologies like we've seen with the tiny house space. And again, um, at the time of recording, it hasn't come out yet, but we are going to have some amazing news on the tiny house front. Um, But should I jump in and and share what those five pillars are? Yeah, please do. Um, and uh, just a little
0: note that as as Kyan talks, you know, he, he's talking about five or ten years out there. That's the way his brain works. Um, I'm 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 throwing that joke out there just to be a bit shorter because I know how important this is. So anyone that comes to me in like nine months' time and said, Lawrence, you said this was going to happen in three to six months. This is because if this does happen so many lives will be impacted in the positive. That's why I'm being really positive about the time frame, where Karen's a bit more realistic, and that's why he knows it's good at least five years or ten years down the path. But anyway, yes, please, Karin, um, five pillars, knock yourself
1: out. You should also point out that the technologies will be coming into play at different elements, too, so mm-hmm. they might ease, but, you know, like actually solving the housing crisis. But anyway, talking about the five pillars. So the, the first pillar which is really causing a problem is land cost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do, doing doing anything, the price of land is just ridiculous. Um, secondly, build cost. I mean, you're building a house mm. at the moment, so you know that only too well. <laughs> um, so the, the price of materials, the price of labour, everything to do with actually building a house or building new houses is ridiculous. Um, number three, council bureaucracy, government red tape, It's tying us up, it's stopping us building houses. I looked at one statistic here in New Zealand, and all the statistics I'll be sharing today will be New Zealand based. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still getting the same amount. We're 40,000 dwellings short, yet we're still only giving 4,000 building consents every year. So obviously that's not going to change anything Mm -hmm. um, with the supply issue. and again, in a previous in a previous um, podcast, we talked about my Mirawai tiny house project that didn't get through because of council bureaucracy, red tape, and just absolute bollocks. Um, and uh, we we won't touch on that tonight. But you know that that was that could have solved that that could have been you know a game changer. That could have been yep. the gateway for a lot of affordable housing, new ways to live environmentally, you know, all of that sort of thing. But anyway, we we won't dwell on that. Um, Fourth pillar to the housing crisis is what I call disconnected communities, um, where because we have such an individualism mindset, Uh, we all have to pay for absolutely everything ourselves. You know, we all have to connect into the power ourselves. We all have to connect into water ourselves, which means the the council has to provide that to every single home. And I'll I'll touch on some of the technologies which are are sort of coming into play with that and trends, right, you know, societal Mm -hmm. trends coming through.
0: Sorry to interrupt the current show, but just to let you know, if you're enjoying what you've seen, make sure you hit the subscribe and like button so next time another episode comes out, you'll be able to see it first. Back to the show.
1: And the fifth one, which I'd I'd mention, is ownership structures. And this probably plays the most when we talk about um, increasing, you know, fast increasing prices. So, for example, if you take a $100,000 property and you had 20% interest rates, well, that's $20,000 per year. Mm -hmm. If you... Had ten percent interest rates. Well, that hundred thousand dollar property suddenly goes to two hundred thousand. Yet it still only costs twenty thousand dollars per year. Mm-hmm. So to put that in perspective, everyone can do the maths as you as you keep halving, and we got down to two point. Well, one point six nine is the cheapest interest rate out there. Um, could, do, could pick up my phone, but in the interests of speaking really fast and getting everything out of my head, do the numbers. It's going to come up to about 1.5, 1.6 maybe, and you're still only paying $20,000 per year. So mm-hmm. the fact that we own everything through a mortgage, which is highly t- – value is highly tied to interest rates, which is controlled by the Reserve Bank and the government – not the actual value of the property and and what you can utilize out of the property, just again, sends house prices skyrocketing every time interest rates come down. And again, because of COVID, we've seen super cheap interest rates. We've seen easy money and we've seen a a massive skyrocketing of, um, of 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 house prices. So that in essence is what I see as being the five key pillars to actually causing the housing crisis.
0: Uh, it's so true, Karen. I mean, like you said, at the moment, I'm currently in the process of um, putting consent in at the moment for a new board on my property. Um, I'm going to be building on the on the site where I'm based at the moment, and just talking about some of those things, the, the 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 costing. We're going through COVID. The costing every month was, hey, this is an increased cost. This is an increased cost. I mean, luckily, I've been building with one of the largest board companies, if not the biggest in the country. Um, and they've been able to consume a lot of those costs. But I know speaking to friends and so forth, um, and so in the industry, there's just been refresher pricing of like 2% a month and 5%, You know, not 5% annual, 5% increase from last month to this month on certain products. Um, and then you're talking about the bureaucracy and the council. How's this for a, a bit of a laugh? I am I own a 1960s house. When it was built, the, the power that's put it to my, to my property is called one fa- a single phase. So, It's very basic power on the property. I'm building a new uh, property. So I need obviously at least two phase or what you call three phase. Three phase is when you want to run farm buildings and high um, um, energy drawing
1: um, items off that as well. So and, the, and given how often you're on these podcasts and playing on your computer, yeah. you're going to make a phase right? Now. Yeah. So I need a lot, of,
0: a lot of electronics and that stuff. And being, like I said, in the farmlands, when you want to go and pick it, put in generators and stuff like that, you need to be able to have that high con- power consumption. So I went to the ball company, said, okay, contact uh, Vector, which is New Zealand's uh, big uh, power line um, company. And they came back to me and said, Lawrence, uh, we've got a bit of a tr- problem. The uh, – the line that you want to upgrade, you can upgrade that. Um, but the the power box or the 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 item, the big power box that sits on top of the pole in the street, um, is a capacity. So if you want to get more power to your property, uh, you have to pay for the replacement of that entire pole for the entire street. And I was like, hold on, sorry. So I'm one person of fifty people, fifty houses on the street, but because I'm first, I have to pay for the entire upgrade. And they go, yep. And then you can get your power. I said, why don't why can't I pay one fiftieth of the portion? And as everyone down the street upgrades over the next five to ten years, they pay their pro portion to it. And they said, No, that's not how it works. And and that's sort of to me like ridiculous. I have to pay for
1: everyone because I'm one person who wants to use it first. And and so that that's perfect, right? So that's very much council bureaucracy, but yeah. also disconnected communities, hey? And Correct. so if if you look at it this way, right? everybody who is now sitting on land further up your street is not going to develop until the first yep. person is willing to upgrade that transformer. And it's got to, it's got to property prices have to reach the absolute maximum they can in order for it to make sense for someone to pay that upgrade. Cause you're probably talking 50 to hundred K mm-hmm. um, in order to, to make it financially feasible in order to do it. So yep. so absolutely the way the way development works is ridiculous hey um but again when we start talking about that 5 to 10 year time frame I can give you some good news although it's too late for you but for everyone else <laughs> this is where we start looking at solar right mm-hmm. solar solar power has uh it's it's absolutely smashed it it, it is there's a new technology, and I can never pronounce it right. I think it's called perovskite, and it makes it makes a um, hundred times. It, it converts sunlight into electricity one hundred times better, but a thousand times cheaper. Wow. So we, right now, 2021, we're right on the the cusp of this becoming the normal uh, solar panel style or, mm-hmm. or material, which means it's going to be commercially viable for for most houses. To, to have solar, but also to, to share it, to connect it. So imagine you living on that street with all your neighbors, instead of you having to upgrade that transformer in order to, to give everybody else the power, what if you said, hey, I'm building a, you're, I know, I, you're building a big house, right? <laughs> so you're going to have this huge floor plan. Um, which means you're going to have huge roof space. So if you were to Mm -hmm. put solar across your entire roof, and I also know you live on a little little hill, so you might even be able to put a a, a windmill up, right? Yep. Now you make more power than you need, which means through microgrids, which again Mm -hmm. is the opposite of disconnected communities, where you're now powering your neighbours and they're powering you, so you you make more power than you need, so you can sell it to your neighbours, which means it makes sense for you to have that capital expense of buying the solar panels in the first place. But also if it's not enough for all your neighbors or it's too much for all your neighbors, then you can sell it back to the grid as well. So it's, it's now going from disconnected communities to connected communities where instead of just relying on one power plant, which if that goes down, the entire city goes down. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone is, is, is essentially a little uh, electricity plant powering each other. So if you're in an area that's really great for sunlight, but someone else is, you know, you live close to Waitakere's, which is a lot of bush power, they probably yeah. don't have it, but maybe they they do have the wind power or, you know, other areas where they've got geothermal or, or hydro even, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've now got like tidal power and, and all sorts of things, right? Um, then now we've got five, 10 different renewable energy types which aren't going to put stress on the planet and the environment, but we can start to power each other. If, it's a, if, it's, if, there's, no cloud, if there's clouds and there's no sunshine, then you stop working and you buy off someone else. Or mm-hmm. do you even need to buy? Do you just give it or do you do you track it again through blockchain where you can start to do micropayments? Okay, I'll sell two cents worth of electricity to you, da daddy da da right? So I think it's really exciting. But the second part to this, and no one's talked about this. My dad's actually a plumber, so I have asked him if it's theoretically possible, but I don't entirely know he understood the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where we start talking about water, So exactly the same thing. If you want to get water to your development, and especially because you're a little bit rural, you've got to pay for the water to come from wherever the nearest council pipe is. Mm -hmm. It could be 50 to 100 meters, which is huge costs. But we actually live in a world now where we have atmospheric generators, which is a really complicated terminology for essentially what is a dehumidifier. Mm -hmm potable water, dehumidifier, where it can literally suck water out of air that you can drink, and and you can get them big enough to get 8,000 litres a day. So now imagine if you had something similar where you had people collecting rainwater from the roofs, you had atmospheric generators which were going into tanks, and you were starting to get a bit of a microgrid going between the different houses in a community or a village where if one person's low on water, well, you can just top, top them up. So I think, you know, we are getting to that space where we are going to move away from the reliance on council infrastructure, where we have connected communities, literally connected via, you know, microgrids. Mm. But this is a major blow to council funding, because water care alone here in New Zealand, right? $15,000 to turn on a tap, literally to turn on a tap because they have... They have the monopoly. You can't have water without them. So mm-hmm. councils are going to be, they are going exactly. to fight. Them.
0: Yep, totally. But uh, but that's a big thing to go against. Uh, you know, there was, it was interesting to anyone in the New Zealand space in Australia, a little bit might have heard about a couple of years ago. Um, to anyone that knows in New Zealand, we're naturally quite a green country with quite a bit of water. Um, a lot of my South African mates that have been across here are, they say it's a beautiful country, but they prefer to stay in South Africa where it's drier and sunnier because they don't get as much rain.
1: And the craziness… Land of the long white cloud, right? right. <laughs> it sounds romantic, but they don't think about what it actually means. And and it was crazy that like two years ago,
0: we had one of the worst droughts in Auckland uh, in the sense of not the worst droughts. We had the worst water shortages due to the council on the government not managing in the correct way. And it was hundreds of millions of dollars they had to spend to resolve this issue. And it was more they spent all that money to tell people to use less water. Where they should have used that money to put in, um, implementing tools that could help us to save more. Now, Karen's having a bit of a smile if you listen on the audio, right? Because he totally understands this. I live in the countryside. I'm not connected to the main council water. I collect all my water off my roof and I service multiple properties off that as well. Now, because we're a country that does that naturally in the farmland, you can buy a little 3,000, 5,000, 4,000 liter water containers that will store water at a, actually at a very reasonable price. I would love to know from the the from water from Watercare or the government that spent hundreds of millions of taxpayers' money to try and resolve this water issue, how many of those containers could they have bought and put down in people's properties to say when the water comes with the roof, there's the additional water that we can't save in our dams. And how much better would we be in this moment for the the, the money they return? I would it, love it to actually anyone in this that
1: Lawrence. Sorry, go it it got even crazier than that mm-hmm. so prior to um prior to that drought which actually we're not out of yeah 2 years later we're not out of that drought we just we're only allowed to use hoses not sprinklers <laughs> but but the, if you wanted to put a water tank on your property you required resource consent oh, that's, that's correct i so, remember so that so what happened is this was <laughs> okay, and i don't want to be, i don't want this to become about council bashing but um they simply said, "Oh, we're taking away the fees for resource consent to put a, a water uh, a water tank on okay. your property." You. How crazy is that?
0: Yeah, totally. But let's let's get back to obviously a few items you spoke at the moment is talking about council and disconnect communities. I can imagine a lot of our audience that, um, like I said, will be in the New Zealand Australian space would be wondering to know about land costs and construction costs. Where in the future tech at the moment or ideas that you see can impact or improve? or reduce land costs firstly, and obviously reduce
1: the construction costs. Yeah, cool. Land costs is quite an interesting one because I don't think many people will have made the connection. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually have a shortage of land. Everyone's like, oh, they're not making any more land. Well, we have a ton of land. Look, you look at any map of well, I think it is Mm -hmm. 70% of all land in the world is used for agriculture very little of it is used for 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 habitation of humans yep. in fact again i think i've seen some crazy statistic like every single human in the world could fit in texas i know it's, it's new york
0: is it new york y- yes yeah, so every it's uh, and it's not new york new york it's the state of new york so one yeah so one american state every human on the earth sits standing side by side or seven billion and change of us can fit in one state in america
1: yeah. So so we do actually have so much land. The problem mm-hmm. is, again, um, the governments create an artificial shortage by the way they they zone things. So mm-hmm. here in here in Auckland, uh, again, where you live, right, You you're not allowed to build another house on your land, despite the fact how many acres do you have or hectares or? Oh, so, I, so I'm on a small block. So I only
0: have three acres, but yes, I'm only allowed one. Three acres. On so, so, yeah. so
1: put this in context, right? 30,000 meters, square meters, mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. block. But here in Auckland or central Auckland with 30,000 square meters, you could potentially build 100 houses. But the government and the council say, no, you can't do that, right? So first off, we don't have a shortage of land. We have an artificial shortage of land because of the way zoning works. But mm-hmm. that aside you start to think about this, and this is where most people haven't made connections. Um, Most of our farmland, most of our available land is all farmland. Correct. Right. We have so much of it. Now we don't actually need it. Between vertical farming, Mm -hmm. which is bringing farms into the laboratory almost, into, into warehouses where we've now got scientists instead of fruit pickers, for lack of a better word, you know, original, traditional farmers, they're able to get much better yield out of vertical Mm -hmm. farming. They're able to um, produce at a much better price. um, And they don't have any rain. They're able to work all year round. They're able to turn over crops a lot quicker. So we're actually now getting to a position where we're bringing our food into the cities Through vertical farming. The second side of it is we're moving into plant-based meats, fake meats, plant-based meats, whatever you want to call them, right? In the future, um, and even, even Branson said this himself, right? And this is one of the reasons why I went, I call myself Flexi, right? In the future, we're going to look back on the way that we ate animals in the same way that we now look back on cannibalism. Yep. Right. Just like Back in the day, it was normal. Now it's just weird. And right now it's normal. And I'm not some vegan trying to bash it. It's just, you know, the futurism futurist saying how it's going to work. Yep. So as soon as we start coming up with a, a way to be able to create proteins or, or meat like proteins mm-hmm. um, at a super for- affordable price, then farms almost become irrelevant. So now we have so much land. And if we can just remove the artificial scarcity created by the government through zoning, Mm -hmm. then we have so much access to land. The second thing is you might say, well, that's all well and good, Kyron, but most of the land is out in the boondocks. Who wants to live out there? So we need a way better transportation system. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say is the Hyperloop. The Hyperloop is essentially a... Almost think of it as a magnetic levitation train in a vacuum frictionless tunnel, almost yeah. like those tubes from Futurama, but with a, a train going <laughs> through it instead yeah. of the person, right? And so they get up to ridiculous speeds and I've actually done the maths on this and you could go from Auckland CBD to Wellington CBD in about 45 minutes. So now, all of a sudden, if you pair that with the second technology, which is mm-hmm. flying cars, and again, no, I'm not some crackpot. Rim <laughs> you know, um, future autonomous flying vehicles are already they've been tested in Dubai for the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, Uber, Uber, Uber Air. Yeah, I think it's Uber Air or Uber, Uber Air have been or were supposed to test in Melbourne. I, I haven't actually followed up with that. But essentially, if you bring in the whole idea of flying cars, we're now, again, Auckland as a, if, I can never say that word, if if miss, essentially between the two harbors. Yep. We can now get to Coromandel, Waiheke mm-hmm. Island. Um to Peninsula, all of these areas within an easy access, right? Because you don't have to drive. So the geography no longer matters. So if you look at it from that concept, you can pretty much get from anywhere with it, between Auckland and Wellington, obviously up north a little bit different because just, mm. again, the, the geography, but anywhere from within Auckland to Wellington now becomes a commutable distance to either Auckland CBD or Wellington CBD within an hour. If you put that in perspective of how we drive today, Mm -hmm. that's no different. And I apologize to everyone for using Auckland terms, but, you know, sort of Albany, Whangaparoa, um, Pukakoi type commuting distances at peak hour. So it's... It's quite doable for most people, and again, because it's all autonomous, and we're likely to see autonomous flying vehicles become mainstream before we see autonomous road vehicles become mm-hmm. mainstream, then you're actually able to work in the in the in the what do you call that taxi in the in in the flying car yeah. um, <laughs> because you don't need to drive it. Yep. So all of a sudden, it becomes a lot more accessible.
0: Uh, you can see a lot of that exist. Myself, growing up in um, in Cape Town, South Africa, you know, very dense uh, populated and basic infrastructure from transport and so forth. And to any South African or uh, New Zealand and Australians, very common to go to the UK as your OE or your gap year. And one of the biggest things I originally saw there now, um, and it's been a good few years since I've been back, but it was I work in London, but I stay three hours car ride away because all of a sudden I can stay in the beautiful countryside and it's affordable and you're like but hold on you're like 200 kilometers away how do you get to work the infrastructure their train system that sage was literally jump on and within an, an hour I'm at work and uh, you know within an hour from London on some of those trains you can be miles away Unfortunately, in New Zealand, we don't have that luxury. Our systems are just built and too bad. But it's taking that existing solution and what current saying is and just multiplying it further, going, if we get foster, how far away can you live from the place you work within an hour and therefore you're out further and then the, naturally the land costs will come down with that as well that we're not, con- that we're not currently consuming.
1: Do, do you know what's really funny? You talk about um, England and stuff and you're, you're at London. You're absolutely right. But if you look at how existing cities, the the developed world, and for those Mm -hmm. of you on the podcast, I'm doing bunny ears, um, quote unquote, you know, the developed world. You look at how we operate today, the industrialized nations, right? And um, our our maintenance costs are huge. Mm -hmm. However, the minute you bring in flying cars, you don't need roads. So now all of a sudden, Areas uh, like Africa actually have an advantage because they don't have the huge infrastructure costs. They can bunny hop us. And I do expect Africa to become the next major continental power if they could just stop the infighting and, and the government corruption and sort their shit out, which will happen probably 50 to 100 years But I do believe Africa will bunny hop the rest of us because they just don't have those infrastructure costs. And we've seen that in the um, industrialized world when America overtook Europe because Europe was built on horse and cart, Mm -hmm. whereas America was built on the steam engine and the automobile. So I think we'll see exactly the same. And we've seen that recently with Asia just going gangbusters, particularly China, as we moved into that digital world.
0: Yeah, so true. So the next thing um, is, talk to me about construction cost. Where do you see the big uh, game changer at the moment in the construction space? 3D printing, you know,
1: Mm. hands down 3D printing. So to put this in perspective, it's still not mainstream. It's still not, it's not not commercially viable. We we Mm. have started 3D printing neighbourhoods. But some of the first 3D-printed houses, there's a real famous one, Apis Core um, 3D-printed... Can you say built? Printed? They printed a house? Um, They (laughs) 3D-printed a house in in Moscow. And it was 36 square meters, so a tiny house as an example. But their total finished price, including painting and staging it, was US dollars And again, this is... The prototype. So the prototype is always more expensive. China has been 3D printing for a while, a company called Winsun. Um, I wouldn't call it quite true 3D printing. They Mm -hmm. are sort of doing prefabricated 3D printing. So they might 3D print a sort of unit in a factory and then almost playing Lego. So they built a huge tower. I want to say 19 stories, 20 stories tower in less than three weeks by 3D printing in the factory, bringing the, the units out, playing Lego to assemble them on site, and voila. We, we saw it right at the start of a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. China came in and built entire hospitals in the manner of, of a week or a few days. So, um, so this, is, this is the power. Prefabrication, um, you know, factory-built houses which can just be transported outside, 3D printing. We've now got construction bots. We've got mm-hmm. robots which can lay um brick roads, we've got robots which can uh bricklaying robots, um which oh, I can't even remember the statistics, but it was three to f- five times as fast as a human bricklayer, and of course they can go all night. Yep. So that um that 3D printed tiny house in Moscow, that was built within 24 hours, to put that in perspective. Some of the ones in America which they've been 3D printing have been um, more like a week or so, but still compared to the sort of six months that it takes Mm -hmm. to build a house. And, of course, there's no wastage. Everything a 3D printer uses um, goes into the build. There's no offcuts. There's no wastage. Better for the environment. Um, Again, Winson, the Chinese company, they figured out how to repurpose um, concrete, like, They'd crush up old concrete blocks and bricks, um, mix it together into whatever sort of paste they were using. Um, so now you're able to, to bring in recycled materials. The problem with 3D printing at the moment is at the moment most of it is cement based or, or mm-hmm. some sort of cement type mixture. Not everyone wants to live in that type of house, but again we're moving into the disruptive stage. So I think we'll start to see that here in New Zealand. I have heard rumors that a semi well-known or relatively famous architect here has bought a 3d printer to start going through the, um, through the MB process to get it mm-hmm. approved. Cause obviously it still needs to meet building code. Um, I don't actually know their name, um, but That excites the hell out of me because, again, it means I'm not the one taking on the brisk, but it does mean (laughs) someone else is doing the work to bring it in. Um, So, yeah, so building, again, $10,000, that was a tiny house, call it $20,000, $50,000 even, to build a a four-bedroom, 120-square-meter home, Mm -hmm. you know, simple. We can also 3D print glass. We can 3D print metal. So the technology has come so far. So it's so exciting.
0: Yeah, that, that that's definitely one that a lot of people can really understand because it, it's a few. It's not really a future tech because the tech exists now. It's the future capabilities of that tech, right? Um, in the sense of, I remember a good few years ago when everyone came out and you're you're printing, you know, little cups and little uh, trinkets and little toys and things like that, and then you just sort of just, and then one week later you're like people printing out like a, a full coffee cup. And then a week later, a guy was printing out a model of a car, like a small model. And then you heard of like the Ferrari 3D printed car. Some guy did a Ferrari or Lamborghini. And I think it was like a Toyota Corolla underneath, but literally the show on top. And then all of a sudden, it just got bigger and bigger. And everyone went, whoa, how big can we go? And yeah, there's definitely, you know, um, being the 3D printed houses, the Lego concept as well, I've seen that. That's been actually quite a cool one. Um, I've been wondering about that one as well, in the sense of if a company would go out and actually... Um, just package the Lego products and I'm going to use the term Lego so everyone understands from a blocking point of view and just like mass producer you can go in and and someone works and goes cool you need 500 blocks and you just go in and go cool it's $50 a block and you build your outline and put it all together with your own structure and then just drop your whatever your roofing structure or your seat or whatever your ceiling would be on top of it to give you that capability as well Um, because obviously the big 3D house printers might not be accessible in all countries and that stuff but again thinking about africa if i can go and do you know one meter by 300 lego blocks and print them mass produce them in a smaller system and feed that into that housing market make a major change
1: absolutely there are there is one company working on that here it's not 3d printed but still at least modularized modulized and again this doesn't quite fit into the whole technology that's going to to you know stop the housing crisis or solve the housing crisis but this whole idea of of modularized housing you know Mm -hmm. at the moment a house is 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 a very stagnant and you know it's 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 a movable you know it is what it is and if you want something else you move right the whole downsizing term but imagine um you you have a baby so suddenly you bring in and you add a module to the house and there's a bedroom or you have Mm -hmm. Three children, so now you've got three bedrooms, and you go to a two-story house. But then the kids move, so you actually get rid of them, and you go back to a, a one-bedroom unit. Yet you stay on the same land the whole time. So that will all come in. Probably that's more 10, 10 years or so. But yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. That one I love. That that modular sense is definitely quite a cool one there. I'm um, going into uh, into the in the other ways we're talking about. You know the way you own properties um disconnect community communities i know we've spoken that as well but you know you're talking about the way we own properties as well let's let's get a bit into that
1: space yeah perfect before we jump on that Mm -hmm. let me let me tie in a a a really amazing as we start to connect it all together right so so each one on their own is interesting but then it's as we connect them all together Mm -hmm. so so imagine now you've got this huge 500 hectare farm where you can go in you can buy 300 square meters on it which in the past well right now in the past mm. still stuck in the future um you wouldn't be able to do right but imagine you could and, and you've got your flying car which goes from the nearest um hyperloop station which is 20 k's away so you're literally able to buy that section for maybe ten thousand dollars because you know dirt cheap <laughs> what an oxymoron but dirt cheap yep. and then you 3d printed you literally went on to, um, you know, thingy, thingy verse, which is, yep. um, you know where you download your three D printer models from, and you can look at all the housing options from all the world's best architects. It makes no difference if you build a square or a oblong or a mm-hmm. um they have the same thing, um or a star or whatever, right? Because a three D printer doesn't care. So now you can have whatever miraculously shaped architectural home as you want. And again, you come, you three D printed on there, and it's only it's only ten thousand dollars. So you could literally have a home for twenty twenty thousand dollars or so again as we start to bring in robotics we do have robotic gardens farm bot um, hydroponics um, you'd have your own solar panels on there your water from air generators so you pretty much get your own self-sufficient house for less than fifty thousand dollars where you can get to any major city within the North island of New Zealand within an hour so that that is where it all connects in and that is where we ultimately come together to um, to break and solve the housing crisis. So then if we jump over and we talk about the ownership structures, like Mm -hmm. you said, right? Um, The way we own houses is absolutely ridiculous. So for starters, if you want to buy a house, you need to trap yourself in for a 30-year mortgage. That's the way it works. In New Zealand, we have 30-year mortgages. In other countries, they have 50-year mortgages even even crazier, right? And then you pay interest and that essentially traps you working. But with blockchain, you don't need to do that. Blockchain essentially starts to allow us to fractionalize the ownership of, of anything, but we're talking about houses here. So we can fractional, fractionalize assets such as a house. And that's what you and I have been doing in the US mm-hmm. with Realty, which you did a podcast on, um, where we now own a share of that property yep. so I've been working with a investor who owns a lot of property down in Christchurch she's spent a lot of time helping people get into the market and helping mm-hmm. people get into their first homes and we were sort of discussing how this might work in the future right through through the tokenization of property and what we realized is there's a big difference between ownership and possession. At the moment, you either own a property through owning the title, yep. um, which gives you immediate possession, or you possess a property, occupy a property through a tenancy agreement. It's pretty much only those two. You either own it or you have a tenancy agreement on it. But through the tokenization of property, you could essentially own – you could you could do a development. Let's say we did a five-townhouse development. And you bought the land as it was for a million. It was going to cost you $1 million to develop. And you had five people who wanted to go into the properties kind of as a tenant buyer. So those of you who understand how lease options and rent to buys work, kind of as a tenant buyer. But instead of the traditional model, which was me as the developer if i'm buying the land for a million spending a million on it i actually need to sell the properties for about 3 million by the time i take off gst tax and my profit right mm-hmm. so first off again trying not to get political but if you want to find a really cheap way to make houses affordable right now take off gst and tax yep. the development i'm doing my feasibility on that's 1.3 million dollars across across 12 houses So I could instantly sell them $130,000 cheaper and make the same amount of money. So that's just ridiculous for starters. But anyway, I would have to sell those properties for three million. But if I did it in a way where I was not selling the properties, but I was kind of doing a co-development with my Mm -hmm. tenant buyers. So I buy the property for a million. I raise funds from an investor rather than the bank. Of half a million in order to do the development and my five tenant buyers each put in a hundred thousand to buy one hundred thousand dollars worth of the tokens then Mm -hmm. we've got our two million those tenant buyers come in and they would essentially rent the property from from the entire pool and if they want to own more of the property well they just buy some of the tokens off me which means instead of paying interest they're paying rent so as the as a I guess I'm an investor developer now um, and an investor tenant Um, as the market goes up my tokens are going up Mm -hmm. as the tenant buyer as the tenant buyer has more money available if they want to own more of that property they buy my tokens off me slowly you know with whatever they can afford there's no interest which means people aren't trapped and they they, they buy it as much or as little as they want. Maybe they're happy having, um, you know, continuing to pay rent or, or a license fee it probably would be in this case, um, and they want to invest their money in another development. Mm-hmm. They could do that. And now they're diversified. If there's an earthquake and this house falls over, well, at least they've got their money spread out, right? Correct. So this starts to really change the way we look at it. How long this comes through, it's really hard to say. I think blockchain is going to be like the internet. We really don't fully understand the potential of it just yet. But I know there are a lot of people who dream of and are working on this whole concept of a stock market for real estate, Mm -hmm. where essentially at the moment I can go on the stock market and I can buy shares of a company where you could go on the real estate stock market and you could buy tokens. In, in a number of properties or a number of property titles. But on top of doing that, because you are essentially buying a token of, of which represents a portion of five houses. Mm-hmm. If you have immediate possession or, or occupancy of one of those houses, to be honest, that's what most people care about. Mm-hmm. So I don't, as the developer, I don't actually need to subdivide, which yep. saves me Again, council fees, and it saves me Land Information New Zealand fees, and it saves me lawyers fees, which means I can do it cheaper. So it actually, again, that whole disconnected communities and ownership structures really ties in when it's ridiculous the way we live. And to throw one more thing out there for disconnected communities, again, most of us don't know our neighbors. I've Mm -hmm. found... The more rural you live, the more, the further away you are from a neighbor, the more yeah. you get to know them, the closer you live to a neighbor, the less like you are, the likely you are to know them. Anytime I've lived in an apartment building, I haven't known a single person in that building or townhouse complex, I haven't known a single person. Yet when we're in the country, you know, miles away from anyone, you know everyone on your street. Yep. Yeah. The minute we start reconnecting communities it saves other costs in the sense of why does everybody need a lawnmower when they only mow their lawn once a month? Mm -hmm. It sits in your shed useless 99.99% of time. So if you can start to reconnect communities, you can start to have tool libraries and all these sorts of things. Put it on the blockchain again if you want. That's all possible. (laughs) But again, you can start to share resources in this sense, um, which again, saves saves costs of living because what why does everybody need a lawnmower it's ridiculous
0: <laughs> that, that is so true you know that, again this is a technology that we are in the infant stages of block of, of blockchain and uh, and real estate like kind to myself and him both invest in the space uh, with a company of with realty and and further looking more and you know, anyone in the New Zealand space, if I said to anyone out there at the moment, hey, if you want to spend $100 or $20 to get a token in a property and you get the same growth and return as you would have if you've spent a million dollars in the property, obviously you're, you only got $100 or $20 into it, people would jump at it. So I, I've been speaking to Karen a, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, going, go, go, I'm waiting to see this break in the New Zealand market. The first company or first individual that builds a framework around us in this place will be massive because so many people want to just get in and have a small portion to it um but Karen, as we as we always do in our, on our chat to get a long way down the path and a bit of a time before we end off today's show with you know is there any other small snippets of a few other future techs you want to throw out there's ideas that people can think about that you think will also help in this space
1: Oh cutter ones. Um I think I've been through the biggest main mm-hmm. ones. Um I didn't really touch on um, autonomous ground vehicles, um, but that will one hundred percent impact. So now we can live further away from cities. Um mm-hmm. but the the other big one is again, as the internet advances, we're moving towards the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm not going to go into. You can all Google that. But it's 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 essentially virtual reality and how we interact through a virtual reality internet. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen how we can basically, how, how we can now operate from anywhere in the world via the internet, and this has been a major part. Um, Pre-COVID, you know, I was a digital nomad. I could work anywhere in the world as long as I had my laptop. Now, because of COVID, Pretty much everyone in the world has realized they've done the same. Yeah. Once, um, once all the countries start opening back up, I have no doubt that there's going to be massive globalization. And this is where I'm heading with my business. And again, you know, many of the technologies we've talked about today. But it's also the metaverse where this is really going to come in. How that looks like, I can't say I've done too much research on metaverse and virtual reality. I've played with it. Um, But again, I think it's more of a toy at the moment, or to be honest, I gave them away my headset about two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very much still a toy. But when you start thinking about the fact that you and I and even the listeners could now be in a virtual room having this conversation where they actually feel part of the conversation rather than looking at us on a screen, well, that completely changes the office environment because we can have virtual offices where we are sitting in these virtual offices working with each other. So the way that is going to impact is going to completely remove most of us from the need to be in a physical physical um, location for employment. Which again just gives everyone that freedom. Which then begs the question: If you could work any, if you can work from home, you can work from anywhere in the world. Well, where do you want to live? And that brings in an, another form of demonetization, in the sense that you know, I lived in Bali where I could live like a king for six hundred bucks a week, whereas in New Zealand you can't get nothing for that. Yeah. So we're we're probably going to start to see a lot more globalization, ironically, off the back of of global. Isolation because of the COVID virus, but yeah, um, that's probably the other one people really want to start looking into and taking taking notice of.
0: Have you ever watched uh, Ready Player One? I have, Have I have. So yeah, so think of I always think of that technology, but um, not as as extreme in that the poverty situation, but the technology of everyone going in there and, and and having a society behind there from a
1: workplace and everything else um you know we, we like, might so, possibly see that poverty right yeah, but, yeah and again probably to go off on a tangent i think we're going to see some real addiction as well mm-hmm. um i i just know i i just had a cheap little um samsung gear oh, what it samsung gear or something which yeah. just said off, and then i used a friend's htc Vive, and it was just this whole new world and I had withdrawal symptoms just giving away my goggles, right? So this does actually scare me a little bit. But, hey, that's, I'm, I'm here to te- tell, talk about the technologies and how they're going to impact real estate. Addiction is someone else's problem altogether.
0: Oh, brilliant, Karen. Um as, as, we, as we ended it off today, can you let our listeners or watchers know, as always, where they can find you or reach out to you at the moment if they've got any questions or queries or just they love what you had to say and just uh, want to do a shout-out?
1: Yeah, cool. KyronGhost.com is um, the easiest place to find me. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm I'm pretty lucky. Very unique name. Only one in the world. Just put me on Google and you'll find me on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Insta, any of the normal platforms.
0: Uh, awesome. Thanks, Karin. And as always, um, thanks so much for coming across and having a great chat. And as I said in the beginning of the show to everyone, our chats today have been very successful and very interesting. So I'd love to see again in six months' time when I look back on this one or 12 months' time how, how this was relatable to what we were saying. You know, people, you, you look at this and you think about it and you've got gotten this far through the show and you go, hold on. Some of it I can understand, some of it I can't. Just think back to the day they invented the first iPhone. Think back to the day that a first computer came out and Windows 95 came out, how drastic and unforeseen that was. That's how crazy those people would have been when we're talking about some of these future ideas. When it happens, you're going to go back and ask Kyle said, so you can look back at sort of cannibalism and the way from a meat point of view in production how we eat and going, why and how and it, I, I can't make sense of it. This is where the future tech will come in that space and it'll make uh, such a big difference. But if you've got thoughts, if you've got other ideas I'd love to hear about, please drop it in the comments wherever you're watching or listening at the moment as well. And um, by all means, um, share this about if it's something you liked and share it to friends. And uh, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe as well. Um, But at the end of the day, um, thanks again, Karen, for coming on the show. And as I always say out there, stay beautiful, stay powerful. Until next time, see ya. Cheers,
1: everyone. Cheers, Lawrence.